Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Y'all okay this morning? Y'all okay this morning? Is God good? Oh, come on. I heard somebody say, is God really good? Amen. Has he been faithful to you? Oh, come on. Has he, has he been better to you than you even deserve? Oh, come on now. Has God ever provided for you? Amen. Has God ever just stepped in right on time and met a need that looked like it was impossible? Amen. We serve a good God. Amen. 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 I want you to quickly turn with me to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29. We're going to read one verse of Scripture, verse 11. And then we're also going to read Proverbs 29 and verse 18, the first part of that verse. Scriptures that I use quite often, um, but I believe God's got a word for us this morning. Now, for those of you that are our guests, first of all, thank you for being here. We're so grateful that that you are here. If this is your first time here, and I just want to extend a very, a very big welcome to you. And I want to thank you for being here this morning. Um, if you're not used to a Pentecostal service, then... Um, let me just explain a couple of things. We're pretty exuberant in our worship, worship as you may see. Um, we're, we're a little bit different maybe than some of the, the churches up the street, but, but we do that because we know how much God has done for us and how good he's been for us. And so maybe we're a little louder, but uh, I, I think we've got something that, that, that uh, we need to celebrate. Amen? And also, I want to explain that our custom at the, at the end of the sermon is to ask you to come up here and pray in this front area where we're not doing it to call you out by name or anything like that. We kind of call this area our altar area. So um, these steps and this area in the front where there's no chairs, we call that the, the altar area. And at the end of my message this morning, you're going to be invited down here to, to join us at the altar. It, I want you to know that it's a safe place. No one is going to try to force anything on you. We're not going to shove anything down your throat, but if you come down here, we'll pray with you. And if anybody does try to shove something down your throat or you just come see me, I'll take care of it. Amen. But we're not going to do that. Listen, if, if the message really touches your heart and you feel a strong tug in your spirit this morning, uh, then I want you to feel free at the end of the message to join us down here in this altar area when the invitation is given. We have people who are specially trained and assigned to pray with you um, in this altar. Um, and they're going to pray with you for whatever need you may feel, whether it relates to the message or not. Uh, we'll, we'll pray with you about whatever need that you have. And I believe that God wants to work some miracles this morning. And I believe they're going to happen right here in this altar area at the end of this message. So let's just go ahead and let's start this morning with the expectation that God is going to do something miraculous this morning. Amen. Amen. I believe even during the preaching of the word that faith is going to begin to rise. I believe God's even going to do some miracles in our lives, even as we are responding to the preaching of the word this morning. Amen. Amen. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11 says, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. Jesus is thinking about you always. You're always on his mind. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. And then in the book of Proverbs, chapter 29, in verse 18, the first part of that verse says, where there is no vision, or you could say no plan, no picture of the future, 
where there is no vision, the people perish. And I want to preach to you this morning out of those scriptures from this simple title. And I apologize, some of you men that were at the men's conference in April, I preached, uh, I guess what is kind of like the seed of this message. And so some of this you may have heard before. Um, But God has grown that in my spirit, and it's just been bubbling up. And here we are this morning. I'm going to preach to you from this title, Preserved for a Purpose. Preserved for a Purpose. Would you just put your Bibles down and lift your hands to the Lord? And and let's just pray right now. Lord Jesus, we need you. We're desperate for you this morning. God, here we are standing in your presence this morning, and We're asking, Lord, that you would allow your spirit to move and you would allow your word to speak today. We need to hear from you, God. Lord, one word from you can change a situation. One word from you can completely turn things around in my life. God, I need to hear from you today. And I'm asking, Lord, that you would touch us this morning and let us hear your word. Touch me, Lord, in these lips of clay that I might preach what thus saith the Lord this morning. That, God, I know you've given me a message and I'm asking you would anoint this man of God to preach what you want your people to hear today and let our hearts be ready to receive it in Jesus name we pray can you just clap your hands to the Lord this morning you have been preserved for a purpose amen you can be seated let me tell you a little bit about me let me just testify to you for a moment I'm I'm 44 years old right now and before I was two years old, I got the measles. I wasn't even old enough to get the vaccination to keep me from getting measles. And somehow through that, the fever went so high, I ended up getting pneumonia. I'm not even two years old yet, and I had fever. I had pneumonia, and I had measles at the same time. My fever got higher than it's ever supposed to even be possible in a human body. They had me literally in ice baths, and the doctors said that I should be dead. But I'm here this morning, 42 years later, because I was preserved for a purpose. Amen. When I was four years old, we lived in Memphis, Tennessee. There were two guys and a lady who had clearly been smoking weed, and they they tried to abduct my sister and me. We were in the backyard, and they tried to come up to the fence and get us to climb the fence and go with them. And I kept saying, no, we're, we're not going to go with you. And I, uh, they kept calling out to us. They offered us candy, and they offered us ice cream, and they offered us toy. And I was holding, I remember holding my sister behind my back, being paralyzed with fear. And then I see Mama coming running out the back door with a frying pan in one hand and a butcher knife in the other hand. I was preserved for a purpose. And if you know my mom, that's a pretty crazy picture. (laughs) By the time I was six or seven years old, I remember we were driving in my uncle's car. We were going down the highway about 60 miles an hour or so. I took off my seatbelt in the back seat. I opened the door, and I started falling out. Somehow, my uncle saw what was going on. As he was driving, he reached back and grabbed me by the foot and yanked me back in the car right before my head began to bounce on the pavement. I've been preserved for a purpose. A few weeks later, I was at my aunt's house, and my cousin was supposed to be watching me, and I don't know what happened, but somehow I snuck out into the backyard where there was a swimming pool. And I didn't know how to swim. Matter of fact, I really don't know how to swim very well today. And I still remember shrink, uh, sinking, not shrinking, but sinking to the bottom of that deep end of that pool. I was fighting for my life, but I was panicking. Couldn't breathe. I thought I was going to die. 
And somebody jumped in that pool, and they pulled me out. And then they disappeared. Later, when I tried to describe that man to my cousin and to my aunt and my uncle, they, no one recognized this guy. And my aunt's house had a fence that was so high that it's not even possible that anybody could have seen me fall in the pool. I am convinced to this day that God sent an angel to save me because he was preserving me for a purpose. Come on, somebody. And I'm going to share something with you, and I'm going to be very vulnerable with you for a moment. As a matter of fact, I don't even know if I've even ever told my wife this. I've only told her one other time, and that was at the men's conference. I'm just going gonna, gonna to be very honest with you. I had a male cousin. He was about seven, eight years older than me. One weekend, I was staying over at their house, and he tried to abuse me. I wasn't having any of it, and somehow I, I kept him from getting his hands or anything else on me. Later on, we find out that he had already abused my sister and already abused my cousin. Sometimes I wish it had been me instead of her. But somehow God kept me because he was preserving me for a purpose. thankful for God's hand and maybe you've been through some hurts and pains but you're here today and God has preserved you for a purpose why don't you lift your hands to the Lord I feel the Holy Ghost in this house today listen to me whatever's been going on in your life Jesus says I've got you in the palm of my hand there may have been some hurts and there may have been some pains and there may have been some dangers but you're here this morning because I've got a plan for your life and I love you and I'm going to I'm going to bring about greater things in your life. Oh, Jesus, help us this morning. A few, li- few years later, I'd already graduated high school. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Graduated high school and was running the streets quite a bit. Been playing basketball all day in the middle of the inner city. Some guys I didn't know asked me for a ride. So I I went to take them home. And I had about a four or five thousand dollar stereo system in my car. And I remember as we were driving that the guys in the back seat kept telling the guy in the front seat, do it. Do it now. Go ahead, do it. Go ahead and do it. I remember thinking, man, something bad's getting ready to happen. Trying to think, how am I going to escape this if this guy pulls a gun or whatever? Come to find out, now I got him. I dropped him off. Guys in the back are yelling and screaming at him for not doing what he said he was going to do. I ran into that guy. We actually became really good friends. Later down the road, he came to me later and he apologized. He told me everything. He said, I was supposed to shoot you and take your car. He said, but something wouldn't let me pull that gun. I'm telling you, I'm here today because God has preserved me for a purpose. I joined the Army. I got into alcohol like never before. I got into partying. I went down some roads. I never had any business going down, but God preserved me. He preserved me for a purpose. I hit rock bottom while I was in the Army, Memorial Day in 1997, but something clicked 
in my spirit. Something broke in me, and I, I thought to myself, what am I doing? God called me. God has a purpose for my life. My dad never let me forget that. He told me my whole life, and God spoke to me when I was nine years old and said that I was going to be a preacher. I was called, and I've, I've been preserved for a purpose. God, God ordained me for something greater than, than uh, running this, uh, th- this through this world and doing things the, the, the world's way. And so I went home that weekend, and I repented. I asked God to take me back. I was I was broken. I was spent. I I was fearful that he would not receive me back. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe there's somebody here that feels that way this morning. I feel broken and maybe God doesn't want want me back. But yes, God does want you back. He never wanted you to leave. But now that he, he does want you back. He every day he's looking down the road to see if you're returning home. And he's preserved you everything you've been through. He's preserved you for a a purpose, and you're here this morning. Listen, we read in our text that God thinks about us and that he has a plan for every one of us, and it's a good plan, by the way. Amen? I said God has a plan for your life, and it's it's a good plan. Each one of us is preserved for a good purpose, for that good plan of God to come about in our lives. And listen, it, it's not it's not good enough just to know that God has a plan or he has a purpose. You you need to 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 get so close to God that you understand what that purpose is. That's why Solomon said without a vision the people perish. Because God has a plan for you, a grand plan for your life, and it is imperative that that we begin to see what God sees in us and what God sees for us because without that purpose we will perish why will we perish because we'll be walking our whole lives we'll we'll live our lives walking around in circles we'll spend our whole lives spinning our wheels and digging ourselves into a deeper rut we'll spend our whole lives wandering around wondering what purpose is in life walking around basically like chickens with our heads cut off with no purpose and no no uh, no sense of, of there being something more to life than what I'm experiencing now. But God's got a plan for you. And there's sadly, there's too many people that are living under the curse of Cain who wandered around the rest of his life as a vagabond and a fugitive in the earth. He had no vision and he had no purpose in life. But I came to tell somebody this morning that if you're wandering around wondering what is the meaning of life and what's the purpose, there's an antidote for that struggle that you're having, and that is to get close to God so that he can show you his purpose. You don't have to live under the curse of Cain and be a vagabond and wander around. Why is there not more to life? There is more to life, and you're going to find it in Jesus And this whole time you've been wandering this earth, God has been preserving you for a purpose. You will never feel as much alive as you do when you are walking in your God-given vision and purpose. And so you need a vision for your life. I'm not talking about just some abstract, unattainable thing, not some sort of just this mystical dream. I'm talking about the purpose that God has for your life. It's bigger than what you can ever imagine. It's bigger than what you can ever accomplish on your own. As a matter of fact, the vision is so great that it involves you linking with God so that he can bring it to pass. Amen? Amen? 
1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9 says, As it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Look, uh, you, you can't even imagine what it is that God wants for you in your, in your own human understanding. In, in our finite understanding, we can't even grasp what God has for us. But if we'll get in the spirit, God will reveal it to us. You can't see it with your natural eyes. You can't even comprehend it with your natural mind. But if you'll get in the spirit, God will reveal it to you. And he'll begin to show you things that you could never even fathom. Ah, ah he is able to do exceeding abundantly above and beyond all that we ask or think. If you would just get in the spirit and let God speak to you. He'll begin to show you things you couldn't even imagine that he could do in your life. He wants to show you. And when you're walking in that purpose, in that God vision, once you see it, I, need to, I, I just need to tell somebody that once you begin walking in that purpose, there is nothing that can stop you. There is no one that can hinder God's purpose from coming about in your life. You can trust that if you're walking in God's purpose, he's always going to take care of you and preserve you for that purpose. Amen. That's why it says in Romans 8, 28, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and who are the called according to his purpose. When you're walking in his purpose, he'll cause everything in your life to work together for good. He, I, I didn't say he's going to let everything be good in your life. I'm not saying he'll never let anything bad happen to you. But even the bad stuff he can take and he can begin to use those things to bring about good in your life. Because if God be for us, then who can be against us? Come on, everything in your life up to this point has either been God trying to show you, align you with, or bring about his transcendent vision for your life. That word transcendent means something that's bigger than you. That, that vision that he has that's bigger than what you can imagine. Everything that has happened in your life up to this point has been to set you up for what God wants to do in your life. I came to tell somebody this morning what the devil meant to destroy you. God is going to turn around and use for his purpose and glory in your life. Oh, come on, somebody. The devil meant to destroy you, but God said all I was doing was allowing him to bring some things about so that I can bring about my glory and my power in your life. And by the way, God created you with this vision and this purpose in mind. He gave you gifts. He gave you talents. He gave you skills and abilities. He even gave you a specific personality. Some of you wonder why you are the way you are. Some of y'all wonder why I'm the way I am. It's because God created us for a specific purpose. Psalm 139 and verse 16, David said, Thine eyes, Lord, your eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. That was back in the past before I was perfect. He still sees me being yet unperfect. Amen. And in thy book, in the book of God, all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned when as yet 
there were none of them. Before my finger was ever formed, before my foot was ever formed, before my heart began to beat, before my eyeballs began to form in my head, before, before I was even able to have blood th flowing through my veins, before I was uh, the twinkle in my daddy's eye, as they say, I'm telling you that God was thinking about me, and God was thinking about you before you were ever born, before you were ever born, before you were ever conceived in the womb, God was thinking about you, and as he began to put the pieces of your body together and put the pieces of your DNA together, if you've ever seen DNA, it's like, uh, it's like it's knitted together in a special way. Before he ever took those crocheted needles or those knitting needles and began to knit your DNA together, he was thinking about exactly what he wanted you to look like and exactly what he wanted you to sound like and exactly what he wanted you to be like because he has a plan and a purpose for your life. Oh, I wish somebody would get a hold of this. You have been created and you have been preserved for a purpose. I don't think most Christians will argue about the fact that God has a plan for our lives. And most of us who have obeyed Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Most of us, uh, we, we don't have a, a hard time believing that God has a plan for our lives, but we have a difficulty understanding what that plan is. And I believe we have a hard time understanding just how big that plan is. And then we get overwhelmed. God, there's no way you could do that. But I came to tell somebody that feels overwhelmed at the plan of God. If you're overwhelmed by what you think God wants to do in your life, you are probably on the right track. Because if it was your vision, it wouldn't be God's vision. Because God doesn't think the way you think. Oh, come on. You know, if, if, if you could understand it, it wouldn't be of God. Come on. And so if you if, if you think it's too much, then that's probably God's purpose for your life. You think you can't ever be that person that God wants you to be or do that thing that God wants you to do. I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. That's a that's a lie. It came straight from the devil. He's the father of lies. God said, if I called you, I'm going to make I'm going to equip you and you can do whatever it is that I told you to do. Come on, somebody. And if you're not overwhelmed with what you think God wants to do in your life, I'm asking that the Lord will begin to open your eyes and your ears even this very moment so you can hear him speak to you and so, you can, so he can show you exactly what he wants to do. Because if it doesn't feel impossible, it's not God. You see, I serve a God who specializes in the impossible. We sang the song, right, through him, I can do anything. Nothing is impossible. Come on, we, we were singing a song, do you really believe it? Nothing is impossible. Here, here's the deal, though. God specializes in the impossible, but not only does he specialize in the impossible and specialize in the miraculous, but he especially specializes in doing the impossible and the miraculous through ordinary men and women just like you and just like me. Come on. He specializes in taking imperfect people like us and doing miraculous and awesome and wondrous things through uh, so I wish faith would begin to rise this morning. You have been preserved for a God purpose.
Listen, David was just a little shepherd boy. He had been neglected by his family. He was even forgotten by his father. The, the, the prophet came to anoint a new king, and the king was supposed to come from Jesse's house. And he said, I want you to call all your sons and bring them to me. And when the one stands before me that God has chosen to be king, I'm going to anoint him. And then we're going to have a big party, and we're going to, we're going to celebrate. And all, the, all of David's brothers began to be brought before the prophet, and, the, and God kept telling him, nope, that's not the one. That's not the one. I don't care how big he is. I don't care how strong he looks. I don't care how handsome he is. That's not the one. That's not the one. That's not the one. He finally looks at Jesse and says, is this all your sons? Jesse's like, oh, wait a minute. There's one more. I, I didn't think he was worth much. I, I left him out there. I didn't, I didn't think it was even possible that, that, that you would want to see him. Some of y'all feel that way. Some of you have been neglected by your own family, neglected by those you thought loved you, forgotten. You feel forgotten sometimes. And God says, nope, I see you. I see you back there tending those sheep. I see you back there biding your time. I see you back there worshiping when nobody's looking. I see you back there writing songs to me of worship that you're going to use when you're the king. I want, he said, the prophet said, look, I'm not going to, we're not going to sit down and eat until he comes. So Jesse's like, well, I'm hungry, so I better get, the, I better get him over here. And David comes before the prophet, and the oil begins to flow. God anoints David, the one who had been forgotten, the one who had been rejected, the one who had been neglected. Look, you might have been forgotten or neglected or rejected by those you love the most. But God says this morning that I've not forgotten you. And I've never left you. And I've never forsaken you. And I'm never going to reject you. Come on, somebody. David was on the backside of that desert, and he was keeping those sheep. He began to face lions, lions trying to take his sheep. David had to have courage, and he walked right up to the lion, and he took the sheep out of his mouth, and he ripped that lion apart and killed the lion with his bare hands. It wasn't much longer after that that a bear came, and the bear tried to take the sheep from David, and David said, you're not getting my sheep. I was given that responsibility. I was, I was given these to take care of. I love those sheep. I've been with them since they were born. You're not going to take them. And so he went up to that bear, and he said, come here, and he grabbed him by the beard, and he smote him, and he killed a bear with his bare hands, a little shepherd boy but he was anointed by God and there was no lion and there was no bear that could stop him because David was being preserved for a purpose he was anointed to be king and there was a king inside of him when nobody else could see it come on there may be a king inside of you when nobody else can see it there's a queen inside of somebody when nobody else can see it there's an evangelist inside of you when nobody else can see it there's a missionary inside of you when nobody else can see it oh there's a teacher inside of you when nobody else can see it there's glory inside of you when nobody else can see it God sees it one day David is delivering some cheese to his brothers on the battlefield. And a giant named Goliath comes before them. He walks out into the valley. And he says, send me a man that they'll fight against me. And every man in Israel is hiding behind the rocks. Hiding in the bushes. Even King Saul. You need to listen to me this morning. King Saul, by virtue of position, was anointed 
and not anointed, it was his responsibility to face Goliath because he was the king. He had been anointed to be king of Israel. He was still the king of Israel. And by virtue of his position, he should have been the first one to step out on that battlefield and fight Goliath. But Saul doesn't even have his armor on. And he's just hiding in his tent while his whole army hides behind the rocks and in the bushes. Goliath comes out and issues that challenge. And little David says, what is going on here? Something began to stir up in David's spirit. He, he was incredulous at the fact that, that anybody would have the audacity to actually talk smack to God's chosen people. Goliath's coming out there and he's talking smack not only about, about God's people but about God himself. And David's like, how dare you, uncircumcised Philistine dog? You outweigh me by 500 pounds and you're, you're three feet or eight feet taller than I am. I'm still going to call you an uncircumcised Philistine, Philistine dog. Because something was in David's spirit. Saying, wait a second. This is not God's plan. God didn't intend for his people to cower in fear. Oh, come on now. He didn't intend for his people to hide in the bushes and hide behind the rocks when, whenever a giant would come before him. God intends his people to be giant killers and giant slayers. David couldn't believe anybody would be dumb enough to challenge God's people. But I think he was even more upset and more confused when he looks around at all these chosen people of God. And not one man in that valley and not one man on that mountainside would accept the challenge to fight Goliath. He even said so. He's like, what is going on? How are you going to let him talk to you that way? Come on. Get out there and fight. Elia, my older brother, get out there and fight. Uh, you know, Shama, my, my other brother, get out there and fight. Abinadab, my other brother, get out there. And they're all looking at him like, yeah, not me. Uh, who are you talking to? I don't even know who you are. He goes before King Saul and even King Saul. He's like, come on, king, get out there. You're the anointed. You're God's anointed. Get. King Saul's like, mm, not me. So he offered to fight Goliath himself. And his brother scolded him and mocked him. Who do you think you are, you little shepherd boy? Aren't you supposed to be watching those few little sheep over there? Eliab, his brother, had not yet learned to see David according to the purpose for which David had been created and preserved. Perhaps his oldest brother was a little bit jealous that he hadn't been the one that was chosen to be king. Well, here's what I think. David felt the way he felt, and he had the courage and the confidence that he had to face that giant because that was the very purpose for which God had preserved him when he was being threatened. Here's the deal. When Goliath stood before the people of Israel and challenged them to come out, David's very purpose was being threatened. Because David was anointed and preserved to be the king of Israel. But if Goliath won that challenge, then there would be no Israel for David to be king over. And I believe the reason David got such, such righteous indignation was because his purpose was now being threatened 
that giant was threatening God's people, and he was threatening David's purpose. And, and look, look, and, and David just got, he couldn't take it. He's like, why are you sitting there taking this? Why is not anybody stepping up? Why? And he's like, wait a minute. If nobody else will do it, then I'm going to step up because this is my purpose, and I'm going to fight for it. This is my purpose, and I'm going to stand up for it, and I'm going to trust God to bring about his purpose in my life. All those things you get outrageous about, all those things that irritate you to no end, it's probably because it relates to your God-given purpose. <laughs> it gets on your nerves because God's wanting to use you in that area. Trying to figure out what God's will is for your life and what God's purpose is. Think about all the things that irritate you and rub you the wrong way. It very well could be that there's something in there that God says, you know what, I want to use you to minister in that area. Could be part of your purpose. David didn't let Eliab speak into his life because Eliab was speaking against the purpose of God. Eliab was not God's chosen king. And David wasn't about to let the voice of somebody who was not chosen to deter him from his God-given purpose. Do I need to say that again? David said, look, I'm not going to let anybody who's not chosen speak into my life. We, we listen to the wrong voices far too often. You let too many people speak into your life. If they're not speaking God's purpose, you better just go ahead and shut those voices up in your life and not let them speak to you anymore. Turn the volume down. Put them on mute. Get away from them. David said, is there not a cause? In other words, is there not a purpose? I think David began to realize, hey, wait, this is my purpose. I probably faced that lion and I probably faced that bear because there was a giant coming my way. And because I passed the test against the lion and I passed the test against the bear, now this is just another test. Goliath means nothing to me because my God is bigger than any giant that can come this way. David took courage in the fact that there was a purpose for his life. And he understood, if God be for me, then who can be against me? David understood, no weapon that is formed against me shall prosper. I don't care how big the giant is. I don't care how loud he is. I don't care how ugly he is. I don't care how big his sword is. I don't care how strong he is. I don't care how scared everybody else is. Oh, I've got a purpose. And I'm preserved for a purpose, and that giant is standing in the way of my purpose. So he put a stone in his sling, and he charged out to meet Goliath, and he said, You come to me with spear and a sword and a shield, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. And he let that stone fling, and the giant fell, and he slew Goliath with his own sword. Somebody needs to understand that because you are preserved for a purpose, there's some giants that you're going to have to face. You're wondering why the giants are there. It's because there's a purpose. And on the other side of that giant is your purpose. Because you're preserved for a purpose. By the way, I'm going to slow down and say this because I'm getting excited. I don't want you to miss this. Because you are preserved for a purpose... You are specially gifted and anointed to slay every giant that's standing in the valley shouting out a challenge to your purpose. Come on, somebody. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. There's giants that are looking at you and shouting at you and trying to intimidate you and, and challenging you. And, and they're there. You are anointed. You are gifted to kill those giants. 
There is no giant that can stand in the way of a child of God uh, seeing God's purpose fulfilled in their life. The only way that giant can win is if you don't fight him. Come on. The only way Goliath wins is if nobody accepts the challenge. God did not set you on the course that you are on right now to watch you cower in fear and give in to a giant. He did not launch you into a purpose so that you could hide in the bushes and act like you're defeated. Because thanks be to God, which causes us to triumph. He's the one that gives me victory. I'm not going to cower in fear or, or be intimidated by the giants anymore because God anointed me to kill you, Goliath. God anointed me to kill you, fear. God anointed me to kill every giant that would stand in my way on somebody. David had courage to fight Goliath because he knew he was preserved for a purpose. He'd faced giants before. The lion and the bear had all been part of his training ground. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. The battles that you're fighting today are simply part of God's training ground for the purpose that he has for you. So go out and fight that battle. You're not going to lose. It's your training ground. You're getting ready to learn something in this battle. And by the way, your faith is going to grow when you win this battle. David stepped onto that battlefield. He looked intimidation right in the face and said, not today, Satan. Not today, Goliath. Not today, fear. Fear, you are a liar. Not today, intimidation. Not today, bully. Not today. Not today. He wasn't intimidated because he was preserved for a purpose. I need a father to listen to me right now. You've let the enemy intimidate you and immobilize you when it comes to losing your children. But God wants you to know that you are specially gifted and anointed to slay the giants that threaten your children. <laughs> Some of you married couples, husbands and wives, you've let giants back you down from fighting for your marriage. Came to remind you, you are specially anointed to slay the giants that would threaten your marriage. Come on, somebody. Don't let the interloper get in there and start speaking. Don't let the serpent get in there and start speaking into your marriage. Come on now. Husbands, don't let the serpent speak to your wives. Wives, don't let the, the serpent speak to your husbands. Serpent doesn't have anything good to say. Some of you let the devil wreak havoc in your life, and you're facing giants right this moment, and you keep backing down from the, um, from the fight. But God came to tell you this morning that it's high time you put on the whole armor of God so that you can stand against the wiles of the devil and defeat every enemy that stands before you. So gird up your loins with truth and get ready to fight. You are preserved for a purpose. Put on the breastplate of righteousness and stand up to face those giants because you are preserved for a purpose. Put on the helmet of salvation and determine in your mind that you are going to fight the good fight of faith until victory is won because you are preserved for a purpose. Go ahead and get your gospel shoes on and march right out into the battle to face those giants that are trying to take you out and run toward him and, and fight him just like David did Goliath because you are preserved for a purpose. Oh, go ahead and take up that shield of faith and raise it high and say, go ahead and shoot your arrows because my Bible tells me that the shield of my faith will quench every fiery dart of the wicked. There's no arrow that has a hot enough flame or enough poison on the tip of it or enough power in the bow to penetrate your faith if you'll just use it. 
You're preserved for a purpose. Somebody needs to take up the sword of the spirit and begin to, to wield it like the weapon that it is. You need to look at that giant and begin quoting scripture to that giant. You need to look at that giant and speak the word of the Lord to that giant. You will fall. And before me, I will take your head and your carcass and I will feed it to the birds and the fowls of the air. You will not wreak havoc in my home. You will not wreak havoc in my life anymore. I am and my family is preserved for a purpose. You don't have to fear. You don't have to worry. God is going to give you the victory because you've been preserved for a purpose. Come on, somebody. Yes. Somebody shout yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I'm preserved for a purpose. I'm preserved for a purpose. Thanks be to God, which causes me to triumph. Ah, hallelujah. Listen, I'm trying to, trying to be good. Joseph had a dream from God. And that dream was his God vision. It was God's purpose for his life. But Joseph's brothers resented the dream. And they threw him in a pit intending to kill him. There's always going to be those who resent your dreams. There's going to be people that resent your God-given purpose. There's going to be some that are jealous because you know your purpose and you're, and you're, and you're chosen for this. And, and, and sometimes they're going to be jealous because you were chosen and they weren't. But you can't worry about them. And when they do, sometimes they're going to lash out at you. They're going to throw you in the pit. We need to just learn how to focus on God's purpose for us and, and be content with that. And don't worry about what everybody else thinks. And by the way, you need to stop worrying about everybody else's purpose and focus on your purpose. Because your purpose is just as important as my purpose. Come on now. You've got a place that's just as important as my place. We're all just a special part of a bigger picture. So Joseph was preserved for a purpose. And when his brothers intended to kill him, God changed it and, and they just sold him into slavery. Now, that's still pretty bad. I don't, I don't know of anybody here that wants to be a slave. I don't want to be a slave. Slavery's wrong. But the place that Joseph ended up in slavery was Egypt. And Joseph didn't know it, but Egypt was going to be the very place that God was going to bring about his purpose. That's the very place where his dream was going to be fulfilled was in Egypt. So when the brothers rose up against him and threw him in a pit and sold him into slavery, God was just positioning him for his purpose, preserving him for a purpose. While they meant it for evil, God meant it for good. Listen, there's somebody here this morning that's been betrayed. Probably every one of us has been betrayed. We've been sold out from time to time. There's, there's been people that have talked about us and done us wrong and, and, and put us in a pit. But you need to understand that you have been preserved for a purpose. Whatever evil that others meant to bring about in your life, God is going to turn it around in your favor. Come on, somebody. As a matter of fact, somebody's curse is getting ready to turn into a blessing this morning. Look, jo Joseph got blessed even in his bondage. He was a slave, but God exalted him. 
And he became the head honcho in Potiphar's house. He was in charge of everything that Potiphar had. But Potiphar's wife betrayed Joseph, falsely accused him, and Joseph ended up in prison. Once more, evil had been done to Joseph. Wrong had been imposed upon Joseph. Just when it looked like things were getting better, it's like the rug got pulled out from underneath him. Anybody ever feel like that? Come on, just when it seems like things are going well, all of a sudden, chaos comes. You're like, what just happened? I was sitting pretty. (laughs) Look where I'm at now. You see, Potiphar's wife was the enemy's deceitful and tricky way of getting Joseph to compromise. See, Joseph could have begun to think that that place he was at was the fulfillment of his dream. He's got people bowing down to him. He's the head and he's not the tail. And now even the master's wife is offering herself to him. It was the only thing that had been withheld from him. He could have been like, okay, this must be God leading me into into place. Then I'm going to really be over Potiphar's house in everything from now on. He could have begun to think that was his dream. You see, when the devil cannot defeat you outright, he's going to try to bless you. And see, when he blesses you, then he's going to try to get you to settle for the blessing that he's offering. Because he's trying to get you to compromise. Joseph could have had Potiphar's wife. There was nobody in the house that day. It's very likely Potiphar might not have ever found out. He might have gotten away with it. In Potiphar's eyes, it could have seemed like a blessing. But it would have been a counterfeit blessing. Joseph's dreams were not just that any people would bow before him, but his own brothers and his father would bow before him. Having Potiphar's household bow down to him would have been settling for a plea bargain. (laughs) Joseph didn't need or want the plea bargain because he wasn't guilty of anything. And Joseph knew that no matter how bad things looked, he was being preserved for a purpose because he had a dream. Therefore, he would not compromise his values. He would not compromise his integrity. He would not compromise his relationship with God because there was a greater purpose. Joseph knew it, and the devil knew it. And so the devil was trying to do anything he could to make sure that Joseph never got into position for the blessing and purpose of God because there's something greater going on behind the scenes. Because it was through Joseph's family that the blessing was going to come. Jesus was going to be born through Joseph's family. And if Joseph's family got wiped out, then somehow the devil thought he would have already interrupted or canceled out God's plan to put him back in his place. It's not always about you. There's a bigger purpose going on. You don't understand everything. You can't see the whole picture, but God does. And so maybe there's some things that are going on in your life, but he's just preserving you for a greater purpose. Joseph's unwillingness and his refusal to compromise instead of immediately, it immediately, well, let's say it this way. Instead of immediately launching him into the fulfillment of his dreams, that stand that Joseph took landed him in prison. So he went from the pit to Potiphar's house. So it's, you know, see the roller coaster, right? Now he's in the prison. <laughs> he's trying 
when the devil offers you a compromise, he's trying to keep you from God's purpose. Because his purpose is so much greater than you can ever imagine. So much greater than you can imagine. So the devil's going to offer you blessings. He's going to offer you compromise. But the compromise will disqualify you from the promise. Come on, I'm going to say that again. The compromise the devil is offering you is going to disqualify you from the promise of God. So don't you let the devil trick you into forfeiting the promise because you settled for the compromise. Joseph wouldn't settle for the plea bargain because he understood he was in line for something greater. Something greater than the devil could offer him. Something greater that Potiphar could offer him or Potiphar's wife could offer him. He was preserved for a greater purpose. He took a stand. He ended up in prison. It would seem once again that Joseph was being taken further and further away from the purpose of God. But you see in prison, Joseph would meet the butler and the baker of Pharaoh himself. And he never would have met them if he'd stayed in Potiphar's house. Now he's in the prison and things happen. And he meets the butler and the baker of Pharaoh himself. Once again, we're seeing that what the enemy meant for evil, God is turning to good. What the devil meant to take Joseph out of position to see God's purpose fulfilled, God used to actually position him in just the right place at the right time to meet the right people so that God's plan could begin to unfold in Joseph's life. Listen, I posted this on Facebook last night. I got so excited about it. God's always playing chess while the devil's playing checkers. Just when the devil thinks he's got you in check, God makes a move and bam, checkmate. Joseph's positioning came about due to his adverse circumstances and a series of unfortunate events in his life. But because of those same unfortunate events and adverse circumstances, he was suddenly standing before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. But he had to sit in the prison before he could stand before the king. Because it was in the prison that Joseph learned to let God use him to interpret dreams. You don't see Joseph ever interpret a dream until he's in the prison. And that very gift is the gift that would later make room for him in front of Pharaoh. Don't you ever discount the low times in your life. Come on. Don't ever discount the low times in your life. Sometimes it's while you're in your lowest valley that God reveals your greatest gifts. Oh, I wish somebody would get a hold of that this morning. Brother Duru, sometimes in your lowest valley, God is trying to reveal your greatest gift. Sometimes the hardest difficulties you face come when God is trying to build up in you the strongest faith that you've ever known. Sometimes in the most painful of situations, God is only able to make himself known as a healer when you go through great pain. The only way you can really know him as a healer is when you truly need a healer. So you may be in the valley, but you're preserved for a purpose. You may be in pain, but you're preserved for a purpose. So what? You've been betrayed. You've been preserved for a purpose. You may feel like you're in, in prison, but you've been preserved for a purpose. It may look bleak. It may feel worse than it looks, but you are being preserved for a purpose. I know it's dark in the dungeon. I know it's moldy in the pit. I know it's stinky in the prison, but you are being preserved for a purpose. God has got you right where 
He wants you. And he is getting ready to reveal his purpose and his glory in your life for all to see. Some of you have had the promise for such a long time. Begun to even wonder if it's ever going to come to pass. You thought maybe God forgot the promise. Maybe you, maybe you thought that, that you had done something to forfeit the promise of God and, and you lost your chance. But God says, not so, my child. I have preserved you for a purpose. I never forgot the promise I made to you. And you are being put into a position where you're going to be visible to all of those that I'm going to use to promote you. Come on, somebody. Come on, sometimes you're in the prison and you're wondering what's going on. Sometimes you have to wait so long that you're wondering what's going on. But here's Joseph in prison. It's almost 14. It's about 12. At this point, it's about 12 years since he first got the dream. What is going on? Why is it not taking place? And while he's in the prison, Joseph interpreted dreams of both the baker and the butler. And it came to pass just as Joseph had interpreted. The butler was restored to his former position alongside Pharaoh, just as Joseph said he would be. Now, things are getting ready to turn in my favor. Things are getting ready to be right now. I'm th- I can imagine Joseph's thinking, yeah, now it's going to happen. That was the chief butler. That's the one that pours the wine in the cup for Pharaoh. He's the one that brings the cup to the Pharaoh and gives him his wine. He's got Pharaoh's ear. Now he's going to speak a good word for me. Surely something good's about to happen. Surely now my dream is going to begin to come to pass. But the Bible says when the butler got back before Pharaoh, he forgot about Joseph. And still, after all of this, Joseph still had to toil in the prison for a while. And it was two full years later that the butler remembered Joseph. But by the way, he remembered at just the right time. Somebody needs to hear me this morning. If God's prolonging the fulfillment of your promise, it doesn't mean that the promise isn't true. A delay in your promise being fulfilled does not mean that your promise has been denied. A delay does not always mean a dismissal. Come on, somebody. It could just be that your setback might be a divine setup. Just because it's been postponed doesn't mean it's been canceled. Come on, somebody. Divine delays are designed to bring about God's purpose in the fullness of time when everything is just right. If Jesus had come into the world any other time, it wouldn't have been the fullness of time and it wouldn't have been just right. And so maybe you feel like you've been set back, but God has just been setting the stage. And so the butler remembered Joseph at the most opportune time. I told you, God's playing chess while the devil's playing checkers. Just when the devil thought he had Joseph right where he wanted him. God was sitting back smiling because he knew exactly what was getting ready to happen. God's always thinking two moves ahead of of Satan anyway. He knew what the devil was going to do before he ever even thought about it. So he said, all right, do what you're going to do. Because in the moment that you do that, you're setting up my next move that I'm going to make. Telling you, you've been preserved for a purpose. Every setback, every delay, every disappointment, every heartache, every pain, every hurt, every pit, every prison, every betrayal, every struggle, 
every difficulty, God was simply setting the stage for his greatest work yet in your life. You don't look like what you've been through because you've been preserved for a purpose. What was meant to kill you only made you stronger because you have been preserved for a purpose. Come on, somebody. God's got a plan and a purpose, and he's been setting you up all this time. You thought everything was going wrong, and God's sitting back saying, No, my child, everything is going right, and you're right where I want you. The butler remembered Joseph in the very moment when, God, when Joseph's God-given gift would be of most use to the only one that could put Joseph in the position God needed him to be for the fulfillment of his dream. Think about that. Joseph needed to be in charge of Egypt. And the only one that could put Joseph in charge of Egypt was Pharaoh, an ungodly man. So God, behind the scenes, is working everything out so that he can put Joseph in the place where he's the only one that has what Pharaoh needs. Because Joseph had the gift to interpret dreams. And Pharaoh had a couple dreams, and he couldn't shake those dreams. And they bothered him so badly that he just had to get the interpretation and he had to understand what they meant. But there was only one purpose or one person in all the world who could give Pharaoh what he needed in that time. And that person was none other than Joseph himself. The man that seemed to be rotting in prison was the very one that the king needed. And it was in that moment that the butler remembered Joseph. And so Joseph went before Pharaoh, and he told him not only what the dreams meant, but he told Pharaoh what to do about the dreams. There's going to be seven years of plenty, then there's going to be seven years of famine, and so you need to put somebody in charge so that they can store up everything during the times of plenty so that there's still going to be food in Egypt when the famine comes. Because, see, God knew that the famine was going to come over the whole earth, and, and it wasn't just about Egypt because, see, Jacob's family is back over in Canaan land, and, and they're over there, and, and they're, they're in this place, and, and uh, there's going to be a famine on that land, and there's going to be no food there. But God says in Egypt, there's going to be plenty. And so God worked everything out in Joseph's life to put Joseph in the right place at the right time. He was preserved for a purpose. Pharaoh then turned around and declared, there's nobody wiser than you, Joseph. You're the one that, that can interpret the dream. You're the one that has the plan. Now you go and you execute the plan. And by the way, here's my ring and here's my seal. And you're, and you're second in command. There's nobody that's greater than you except me and this whole land. From the pit to the prison. And finally, to the palace. And it was all just a setup. The famine came, and everyone except Egypt ran out of food. Joseph's own family ran out of food. And so Jacob, Joseph's father, sent his other sons, Joseph's brothers, you know, the ones that threw him in the pit and sold him into slavery. <laughs> he sent them to buy grain in Egypt. And who did they report to and bow down to in order to get their food and survive? Joseph, the dreamer. And so in that moment when they had to go before him and bow down and ask for food is the moment that Joseph's first dream was fulfilled. So listen to me. Don't despise somebody else's dream. Don't kill the dreamer. It might very well be that his dream is the very thing that might save you later. Come on, somebody. It might very well be that her dream might be the very, very thing that blesses you in your time of greatest need. 
it might be that somebody else's dream is helping preserve you, you for your dream that's going to come true later. And so then later, Joseph set things up so that his father has to come. And what happens to his father when he gets there? Now his father has to bow down before him as well. Even though he was a son and he knew he was a son, he still had to bow down before him. And now Joseph's second dream came to pass. But it took the pit. It took the prison. And it took the palace. All in order to bring about God's purpose. And so through the persecution, Joseph was preserved. For a purpose through the pit, Joseph was preserved for a purpose through the prison. Joseph was preserved for a purpose. Even in the palace, when he was exalted, he was being set up and preserved for a purpose. Oh, I came to tell somebody this morning that through the good times and the bad, you have been preserved for a purpose over the mountains and through the valleys. You have been preserved for a purpose in times of peace and in times of storm. You have been preserved for a purpose. Oh, you have been preserved for a purpose. I want you to stand with me, please. We're on the brink of something great. You're standing this moment on the verge of your promise. I feel like there's a spirit of Caleb that wants to rise up in this place and and say, we're going to go out and we're going to possess the land. I don't care what the giants look like. I feel like maybe there's a spirit of David that wants to rise up in this place right now and say, I'm not going to back down. I'll fight the giant when nobody else wants to do it. I'll do it. Let that faith begin to rise in this house because I am preserved for a purpose. I feel like there's a spirit of Esther that wants to rise up in this place and say, I don't care if I die. I'm going to go before the king because it might just be that God has put me in the kingdom for such a time as this and I have been preserved for this very purpose. Oh, I feel the spirit of Joseph trying to rise up in here and say I'm going to persevere through the pit and through the prison and even in the palace because I've been preserved for a purpose. I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to settle for the plea bargain. I've got a greater vision and a greater purpose. Let it rise in this place. Come on, somebody. You've been preserved for a purpose. You've been through hell and back. But you've been preserved for a purpose. And here you are this morning. I don't care what kind of chaos is going on in your life. You have been preserved for a purpose. Oh, if you believe it, why don't you go ahead and shout unto God with a voice of triumph right now. Oh, hallelujah. I am preserved for a purpose. Oh, hallelujah. Giants are falling in this place. Walls are crumbling in this place. Oh, I hear the song. I've seen you move. You're moving mountains. And I believe. I see you do it again. You made a way when there was no way. And I believe you're going to do it again. I've been preserved for a purpose. And here I am. Here I am. God, bring about your purpose. I'm opening these altars right now for everybody to come we've all been given gifts and I believe it's time we stir up the gift I believe it's time somebody stirs it up because you let it sit latent for too long. Go ahead and stir up the gift and say, God, here I am. Use me. Here I am. I'm going to get my sling out and I'm going to get my stone out and I'm going to go fight the giant. God, here I am. I've been preserved for a purpose and I'm ready now. Preserved. These altars are open. You can come down here this morning and you can find your purpose. You can come down here this morning and you can revive your purpose. You can come down here this morning and you can recommit your life to God's purpose.
You can come down here this morning. You can repent for not living according to God's purpose. You can even come down here this morning, and I believe this is really going to happen. I believe somebody needs to get down here in the altar this morning because God wants to reveal to you that the very position you're in right now has positioned you for his purpose and for his glory. And you can come down here this morning into this altar area and God is going to impart faith and strength to you so that you can hang on and trust that even in this bad time that you're going through right now, God's got a purpose and he will bring it about in his perfect timing. I need some altar workers if we can get some people that are coming pray with these that are here. God's got a purpose. Sister Melanie, why don't you lead us in worship right now? You can use anything.